There's a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and happy July 4th weekend. This is Debbie Georgiatis. I am so happy to be talking with you on Sunday, July 3rd, the day before July 4th. We are actually recording the show ahead of time, and this is our inaugural America Can We Talk show. The name of our show has been for years, Ladies Can We Talk, and due to input of many friends and supporters, uh, and who actually men, when I give speeches sometimes say afterwards, is your show really just for women? And I think, so I love changing to America Can We Talk because it's about America. Well, this is a very, very special holiday weekend. July 4th is wonderful to celebrate with fireworks and barbecues and hamburgers and all that kind of stuff. But I hope all of you take some time this weekend to really think through and just just kind of uh, dive in and think about the idea that what we're celebrating is the Declaration of Independence. And it is the single most important document in all of world history after the Bible. That's what the Declaration of Independence is. And that's what we're celebrating this July 4th weekend. This novel, radical idea that the founders of America came up with, which essentially was that we all, each and every one of us, have rights simply because we were born. The Declaration starts out saying we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they're endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just that much changed world history. The idea that you simply, because you were born, regardless of the language your parents spoke, the color of your skin, whether your parents are rich or poor, you simply have rights from God. We are all equal. And it goes on to say that the purpose of government is to protect those rights. It actually says to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This was such a radical, novel idea, and it still is today. What the founders recognized was that throughout history, countries were formed mostly by brute physical force, by invading armies, crushing others, by elite people known as the monarchy, the kings and queens, creating a ruling class, ruling the people who had minimal rights and only had the rights the kings or queens or crushing armies decided they had. And this was a novel idea. It wasn't just overthrowing British rule in America. It was that, but it was much deeper and much more profound. America, as many have recognized throughout world history, was formed with a sense of vision, purpose, and deep meaning. It's founded on values, values that, of the idea, for example, that we have rights from God each person has just because you were born. And as Thomas Jefferson famously told us, the idea that you simply, that to hold on to this liberty, we must, it requires eternal vigilance. And actually John Adams, who said this, said these words before the Declaration of Independence in 1765, he wrote, Liberty must at all hazards be supported. We have a right to it derived from our maker. But if we had not, if we didn't have that right from our maker, he's saying, our fathers have earned and bought it for us at the expense of their ease, their estates, their pleasure, and their blood. 
this idea that we formed a country simply to preserve liberty for the individual is something every generation has the responsibility to perpetuate, to hold on to. And tonight we're going to be talking a lot about the Declaration of Independence and then we're kind of taking the temperature of liberty in America today. How are we doing in our generation, in our times, in this era, holding on to liberty? And we're going to tie the idea of liberty to many, many issues facing this country because a lot of times we think of issues as the the conservatives think this, the Democrats think this, the Republicans think this. We need to get a higher, better, more moral view about what liberty is and look at the issues we are addressing from the perspective, are we perpetuating liberty or are we surrendering it? You know, the show is always about, and the show is, again, America, Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. This show is always about embracing and protecting the exceptional identity of America. And that exceptional identity is rooted in the Declaration of Independence, rooted in what the founders of our country said the um, back in 1776, 240 years ago tomorrow, they said that this idea of liberty was important enough to simply fight a war over, to lose, to, as you know, the founders of the, dec- the writers of the Declaration had to pledge, and many lost mostly everything. But the uh, founders of the Declaration, the writers of the Declaration, pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They acknowledge God in the Declaration of Independence. They acknowledge his place in, their, in, in giving them rights, and they decided it was worth losing everything for, and most of them did. Well, in this show, in the next segment tonight, we're going to be talking with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Fortunately for us, he now lives in Dallas, Texas. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is a, as many of you know, he's an American patriot. He's a hero. He's served America in the United States Army in Operation Desert Shield and Operation Desert Storm. He's uh, been well decorated as a military officer. He's served the United States Congress, but mostly he's an advocate for liberty in America today. Can't wait to have you hear what he has to say about what liberty means in America today. So don't go back. We're after a break. We'll talk with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And welcome back to America Can We Talk? I love saying that new name. This is Debbie George Addis, your host, and as many of my listeners know, we used to be Ladies Can We Talk and Due to the input from lots of different people, we've changed to broaden the change the title really to reflect the content and the audience. And we're very excited to welcome in the studio tonight uh, a frequent guest on this show, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Hello, sir. It's good to be with you, and congratulations on the the new naming. I, I was, you know, as a guy, I was feeling kind of offended and left out. You know, <laughs> my my self esteem was going down. You yeah. Know? <laughs> It was microaggression. I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> well, I need my was. safe space. Okay, I'm trying to think of all these insidious things the left uses. I love that. And actually, on a serious note, that is kind of, I had different people at, at times I've given talks say, Do, are guys allowed to call in? Or is this really for guys? Of course, it's for everyone. It's about America. Now it's about America, guys. So we're part of this, okay? There you go. And on this very special July 3rd show is our real, our Independence Day show, as I mentioned in the introduction. 
I really want to focus on the idea of liberty, of what the whole reason is. We have July 4th, what we're celebrating, what liberty is really all about. And I have a little quote from a founder at every segment. And so this one is just a very short one that many of you have heard many times. Thomas Jefferson wrote in a letter to William Stephen Smith in 1787, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. And so, he says, sometimes you have to fight for liberty. So, speaking with someone who has fought for liberty, uh, Alan, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, as many of you know, uh, served in Operation Desert Shield, Operation Desert Storm. He served the United States Army starting in 1983. Um, he won many, many awards, which uh, I've We'll take just a moment to acknowledge the Bronze Star, the Meritorious Service Medal, an Army Commendation Medal, uh, Army Achievement Medal, Valorous Unit Award, Air Assault Badge, and the Master Parachutist Badge. He's retired from the U.S. Army as Lieutenant Colonel, also served in Congress, and currently is the Executive Director and Vice Chairman of the Board of the Directors of the National Center for Policy Analysis. And lucky for us here at America Can We Talk, that is located in Dallas, Texas. So what I want to roll with, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, is about this idea of liberty, and mm-hmm. you served in the United States military. There has been a lot of talk over the last several years about the depletion of the power and ability of the U.S. military to fight for America, to be able to defend liberty around the world. Do you see that as a serious problem, or is it being overhyped? And what not a military kind of an essential part of holding on to liberty, is to be able to defend your country? I mean, I just think it's almost, it's, it's almost a, treasonous is too strong a word, but it's a very dangerous course we've gone down. Well, you're absolutely right, and uh, it's great to be with your listening audience, and I want to send a shout-out to the folks down in Columbus, Georgia. I hear they're one of your listening audiences. Uh, you know, I'm a graduate of the Airborne School and Jumpmaster School down there, and of course, I'm a native Georgian. But I think first and foremost, if we're going to understand the Declaration of Independence, how this nation was established 240 years ago, we need to go back, and folks, you need to read the entire Declaration of Independence. You need to understand that this was a list of grievances that uh, the colonists had brought against King George III. And, you know, I want to whip out my little pocket constitution here and declaration. I want to share, before we start talking about how we defend liberty, you know, some of the things that are synonymous with what we see happening today. For instance, Jefferson wrote, he has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent, which means approval, should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. Uh, One other one that I think is very interesting. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, given his assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. That is what Thomas Jefferson wrote back for July 1776. And that is where we are today, 240 years later. And when you talk about being able to defend liberty, you know, we just recently celebrated in the month of June the 241st birthday of the United States Army. And our motto in the United States Army is this we'll defend. What is it that we will defend? We take an oath 
to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And what we see happening today is the erosion of our constitutional liberties, and we also see the decimation of our military capability and capacity to defend and uphold that oath. You know, I was just uh, last weekend at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, for the 100th anniversary of the 14th Field Artillery Regiment. Now, you imagine 100 years of this artillery regiment standing on freedom's ramparts. And when you're there with this new generation of young artillery redlegs and soldiers that are doing the exact same thing, you, you get a sense of pride. But when you realize, and we've talked about this before, under this administration, this Army is down to pre-World War II levels. This Navy, 1917 levels. Marine Corps, World War I levels. Air Force, smallest and, small, smallest and the, uh, the, uh, you know, the least amount of fighter aircraft we've ever had. That's not how you defend liberty. Well, we're speaking, if you did not hear the beginning of this segment, speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and we this entire show is dedicated to really refocusing on why we celebrate Independence Day, what we're celebrating when we are celebrating our country's Declaration of Independence. Thank you for all that you dove into uh, in, within the Declaration of Independence, because as Lieutenant Colonel West rightly points out, many of the challenges that we are seeing today, many of the reasons people are upset with Washington are exactly what the founders were writing about in the Declaration of Independence. So, um, yeah, I, I, I feel this particular issue with the military. It leaves uh, the world not just America, but the world more vulnerable, mm-hmm. especially in an era when we are looking at the, the threat to modern civilization, mm-hmm. just like historically we had you know, fascism or Nazism or communism, we have the threat of radical Islam as the you know, threat to liberty in the world today. So America's weak at a time when among the most evil forces in the world is actively expanding. And you know what's interesting is, is again, you know, George Santayana said in 1920s, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You know, it was in the 1790s when Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were sitting in Paris, France with the day of Algiers because we were getting attacked. Our shipping was, was and goods and services were getting confiscated. Our people were being put into slavery. And Jefferson and Adams asked the day of Algiers, why are you doing this? He said, we're commanded to do so. You know, we're commanded to do so because you're infidels. Now, now think about this. We fought against the Barbary Pirates for 12 years. You know, the, the Marines' first amphibious landing was in Derma, Libya. And guess what is happening in Libya today? History is repeating itself. It absolutely is. And this is part of what I, you know, I want to go into politics a bit here. And we're, I know we're coming up on a break, but the threat of radical Islam around the world and, you know, in what we see happening with ISIS and the expansion of their, their attempt at establishing caliphate, what we see happening in American shores that we just saw happen last week in Orlando. No, that was gun control. Oh, you saw, um, thank you for yeah. correcting me. Yeah. Well, that was actually the point I want to make. I want to have <laughs> us get into um, after our next break. But um, we, we have a problem in America, not just because we are under the threat of radical Islam, but because we have an administration and, and really a whole uh, you know, establishment in Washington mm-hmm. on the American left who will not say the problem is radical Islam. They, they won't just say need it. compassion, unity, and love. Love, that's right. That's yeah. our greatest response to terrorism. Okay, so, you know, we have this, um, 
this. Actually, I do want to launch in Orlando. We have two minutes in the segment. I'm trying to read this guy's signals. Okay, we do have two minutes left. I thought one of the things that was so telling last week in the news was that Loretta Lynch, mm-hmm. our American Attorney General, the one, the one in charge of the Department of Justice, actually announced on Sunday morning uh, news that she was going to redact or remove the portions of this Islamic terrorist who attacked the Orlando nightclub and called 911 to announce his allegiance to ISIS, she was going to take out his references to Islam when she released the call to the public. Mm-hmm. Well, well, just what do you think about that? This administration, and you saw the exact same response after San Bernardino and also after Fort Hood, this administration bases their national security strategy on obfuscation, denial, and lies because they don't want to face up to who the enemy is. They would rather, as Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And so this has to be about gun control. This has to be about the insidious, petulant, childish reaction of House Democrats to you know, stage a sit-in uh, instead of confronting who the real enemy is. And as a matter of fact, we now hear al-Qaeda saying, we need to attack white people. Because, you know, obviously the Americans are not getting the memo. They keep trying to make everything into a hate crime. So we need to get these folks to understand we want credit for killing you. You know, that was an amazing thing. Uh, I had that actually in my uh, thought about talking about a little later in the show. But we really are at a time where in America we counted on since the founding the idea the government's job is to protect Americans. And we see the government in our country essentially working against pretending Americans. This is Debbie Georgiatis on the first version of America Can We Talk, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Come right back after the break. We have a lot left to go. And welcome back to America. Can we talk? This is Debbie George Addis. We're joined this evening in this wonderful July 4th weekend by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West in studio. So grateful to have him here. And before we, I want to turn to the questions uh, I want to cover in this segment with him. I was going to mention that it's a really, he's, he talks and has talked in this show and other times about the importance of knowing history and understanding what's happening today, not just observing today's events, but understanding the context and history, particularly with respect to radical Islam and not seeing this as a surprise, new, inexplicable action by by radicalized Muslims, but really as a continuation of, I have been calling it the conquest ideology of Islam, that started at its inception. The conquest ideology were there. And so we're going to be talking about several different things. But turning back to, uh, to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, first of all, I'm so glad you're here tonight. Yep. Fun to have you. You know, we've been talking, we've been watching the uh, current administration make big changes in America's military. Uh, one having to do with kind of social engineering of mm-hmm. the military and making kind of politically correct uh, designations and determinations about who can serve and what the standards are about who's eligible to serve. So the particular thing I want to ask you about this, right? There's a talk right now about whether or not women should be included as those who must register under selective service. It doesn't mean they're being drafted because we don't have a draft right now, mm-hmm. but women included in selective service. So what's your reaction? You're a military guy. You actually served our country proudly. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Look, we have one of the finest, uh, militaries in the world. We have some very dedicated, patriotic young men and women who continue to raise their right hand to uh, defend our our freedoms. Uh, I saw them, uh, a lot of basic trainees, when I was up at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, this past weekend. 
What I am concerned about is that this administration is focused on a fundamental transformation of our military and not really the issues that are facing our military as far as ensuring they have the capability and capacity to be able to go out and prosecute the wars against uh, Islamic jihadism. You know, right now we have an incredible uh, onslaught of aviation uh, crashes and incidents and fatalities all across our four branches. You have to ask yourself, when was the last time you ever heard of a Thunderbird and a Blue Angel aircraft crashing within a week? I know. Now, if that's the creme de la creme, Think about what is, you know, happening in your everyday forces. When you have, you know, maintenance crews that are going out to museums to find spare parts. This administration wait, is not wait, is focused. that a true story? Well, it's an absolute true story. Maintenance a, crews going to museums to find absolutely. parts. Absolutely. You can, you can Google it and look no, no, that I up. No, I believe you. I just hadn't heard no. that story. I missed no, that. No, absolutely. F-18s, uh, I think also the uh, B-1 bombers, that's, that's what is happening. And so <laughs> when you consider this, against what this administration is focusing on. They're talking about the lifting the transgender policy. Well, go in and, and look at how the American Psychiatric Association defines, you know, transgenderism, gender dysphoria. And, but this administration is focusing on, you know, now what we're going to have to do with barracks and bathrooms and the fact that the American taxpayer is going to have to, you know, pay for sexual hormone and gender transformation uh, surgeries. That's not what the military is about. The military is about closing with fighting and destroying the enemy. It is about prosecuting Amen. our nation's wars. Uh, and that is not what this, uh, this president or, or the, the progressive socialist left wants to deal with. And therefore, you send a horrific message to Iran, to Russia, to China, to North Korea, to Islamic jihadist groups all across the world that we're not going to fight you. That we're more so busy, you know, worrying about, as the president said, we, we, our nation is stronger when we have women in combat duty positions. Our nation is stronger when we're crushing the enemy. But this is that social engineering mantra. This is that fundamental transformation mantra. The left has always hated the military because it is the last bastion of traditional values. It is the last bastion of honor, integrity, and character. And before this president is done, he's going to do everything he can to transform this military into a social egalitarian participation trophy playhouse. Wow. That, I'm I love every word you just said. I love how you described it all. And so this is one of the, the issues we have, uh, obviously, a presidential election coming up. We mm-hmm. have, you know. Uh, and, and let me tell you this. You know, it's not about emails. It's not about the Clinton Foundation. But the fact that we have someone sitting in the White House and that we have someone running to be president, commander in chief, that abandoned Americans to die and then lied about it. There is no there are no mothers, fathers husband, wives, children that can trust Hillary Clinton to be sitting in the White House and deploy their loved ones into a combat zone. And and that, for me, is the, the ultimate factor that should, you know, make her ineligible to be commander-in-chief. That's what people should be talking about. I completely agree, and I've heard other military people saying, you know, we've kind of lumped this Benghazi story and with a bunch of other stories. It becomes a litany, and then the media or the, the media who's in cahoots with Hillary kind of says, yeah, there's all these stories. They're always picking on her. No, they need, to, they need to make it very pointed. Don't talk about talking points or whatever. You need to look at people that, and, and I'm talking to everyone out there, your friends that say they're going to support Hillary Clinton, and look them in the eye and ask them one simple question. You support a person that abandoned Americans to die and lied about it? That's it. That's the seminal question that needs to be asked. 
Yeah, I, I love that, and I couldn't agree more. We're speaking tonight with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and this uh, on this July Fourth weekend, where we're celebrating America's liberty, and I think one of the fundamental things that everyone needs to embrace is the idea to hold on to liberty. You have to have an armed. You have to have armed forces who are supplied, who are trained, who are sufficient to the job, who can handle the job, because it's not just America that is defended by America's military, but people around the world count on America's We're military. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, of, of what's right, what's good, what's strong. We stand up for people uh, around the world. And mm-hmm. if we're weak and we're, we, you know, we you, signal to the you, bad guys. You bring yeah. up a great point. There was uh, a young lady. Her last name is Murad. She's a young Yazidi girl. And she testified last week before the uh, Senate committee. Uh, she was a former ISIS sex slave. And she oh explained to those senators, the Homeland Security uh, com- uh, Committee, what we need to do. And she said, we're waiting. We're waiting for you to do something against them. And uh, until you go and you fight them and take their weapons away, they're never going to stop. They're never going to lay down their weapons. And so you're right. There are people that are looking to us to say that you sing these things in your you know, national anthem. But do you really embody these principles and values today? Wow. You know, I want to ask you, I had not seen that testimony either. This is amazing because I'm kind of a news wonk. I'm like endlessly reading things. And then I'm speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West and learning new things all the time. As to that young girl's testimony, it kind of brings us back to radical Islam and the mm-hmm. conquest ideology and the, just the determination to inflict Islam on the world as far as they can. In America, our failure to identify them, Islam, as the problem, or at least Islamic ideology is the problem, is causing us to be unable to fight it. In the case of this young girl, we, we can't really get our arms around the fact the only answer they will, that will make them stop is brute force. Strength and might. Strength and might. Strength Amen and to might. that. But internally in America, our discussion, we were talking on, in the break uh, this evening about the expression, the CVE. If you've heard this expression being used by Loretta Lynch and others, CVE stands for Countering Violent Extremism. It is the, and actually that term was suggested, I believe, by CARE, the, the Islamic Organization in America. Essentially, the argument of the radical Islamists has been to the Obama administration Stop isolating Islam as a problem or stop mentioning Islam. Stop mentioning jihad and Sharia and anything related to Islam. Mm-hmm. Just talk about violence. And so in Washington, we have our, con- our members of Congress duped into thinking they're dealing with Islam when they pass some law denouncing countering violent extremism. Yeah. It's a hiding the truth from the people. It is a very broad and nebulous uh, you know, moniker, countering violent extremism, because if you're on the political left, then anyone that's a constitutional conservative can be deemed an extremist and that is exactly what we've heard them say you know once again you have a group like the, the uh, council for american islamic relations unindicted co-conspirator largest uh, islamic terrorist fu- funding case in the united states of america holy land foundation and they have influence on this administration they have an office on capitol hill uh, and they're the ones that are going out Purging, you know, forcing this administration to purge training materials from the FBI and from the yep. DOD. And that's the real question about what happened in Orlando. Why was Omar Mateen not on that watch list? Because of that impact and that influence that CARE has. Absolutely. And in fact, he was investigated by the FBI twice. And three times. Three times? Okay. One time they actually wrote a memo saying essentially they concluded that his co-workers' suspicions about him were really just based on Islamophobia. Absolutely. And, and who created that word? Care. 
Oh, care. Yeah, okay. I want a quick turn to guns. We only have about a minute left. You know, a minute, but we had a sit-in in Congress last <laughs> week, and the Democrats are trying to say that the problem that or the resolution to the problem in Orlando is just more gun control, and they want to say their deal is no fly, no buy, which is essentially if you're on the no fly list, you can't buy a gun. Mm-hmm. And you got thirty seconds. What do you think about that? I think it's a pivot toward the false narrative. It is a political talking point. It's a political ideology. Rahm Emanuel never let a good crisis go to waste. After 9-11, we didn't ban airplanes. In Moore, <laughs> Oklahoma. Or box cutters. Yeah, or box cutters. In Moore, Oklahoma, where the woman was beheaded and another one was almost beheaded, we didn't ban you know, knives. So I think that, again, this is obfuscation, it's denial, and it's lies. We are joined this evening by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Thank you so much for being here, My sir. My pleasure. Always, Dick. We're going to zip off to a break. When we come back, my cruise through the news is going to be a cruise through all the ways in which this administration is undermining liberty in America. You don't want to miss it. Come back after a break. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie George Addis. I hope you enjoyed our guest the last half an hour, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Uh, he's always a fount of knowledge about the Constitution, about the history of war, about the issues facing America, and he really is just a national treasure. So, so happy he could join us on this very special celebration of Independence Day of July 4th. Um, you know, I want to in this, I often say at the end of the first hour, I'm going to do a cruise through the news, and I am going to do that tonight, but I want to do it on particular stories and tie them to the idea of liberty, just understanding how precious, unique, and and simply and rare in the world it is. And I'm going to tell you, I, I love having quotes from our founders. I want to share another one, a quick one. This is from John Adams, and he wrote this on July 3rd, 1776, July 3rd. And he said in a letter to his wife, Abigail Adams, um, published by the family, he wrote, I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration uh, and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see the end is more than worth all the means. That was John Adams. So where are we today? 2016. How well are we holding up and, and protecting this precious liberty that our forebears fought for? fought to have, for us to have, not just in the American uh, Revolution, which was, of course, establishing America, but after that, the many wars that people have fought to preserve liberty. I'm just going to give you a few examples of where I think we are in in danger, and uh, we simply aren't recognizing the connection between the issues we face and the danger in America. Here's just one. You may have heard that the Democrat Party in this year, 2016, has now completed its platform. They actually wrote in their platform and essentially a you will be prosecuted for free speech plank. They actually wrote in that they, as their Democrat platform in 2016, urge prosecution of companies that dare challenge the liberal view on climate change. It's in their platform. They are so enraged that any company or person dares to disagree with the left-wing worldview, climate change is going to kill us all, therefore we're going to redistribute wealth, we're going to surrender American sovereignty to the UN, we're going to do all sorts of things. They're going to criminalize, they're urging criminalizing speech. If you say I don't say I don't go for climate change, I'm not sure it's true. Simply outrageous. Here's another one that I just think bear is it ties to liberty, it ties to basic rights we have. 
You may have read just this week that the, the uh, Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, in a unanimous decision, overturned the conviction of former Virginia Governor Robert McDonnell. Now, you may recognize that name. He was, uh, for a period of time, viewed as a very serious potential contender for Republican uh, nomination for the presidency. And he was convicted on what was clearly spelled out by the Supreme Court as is essentially a political prosecution. You have to grasp that. The Democrats will not hesitate to use the power of the criminal, the Department of Justice, the apparatus of the criminal Department of Justice and other other um, prosecutors, district attorney's office to fight their political enemies. To say you're not going to do, you're not going to rise to power if we don't like you. I want to remind you that this, uh, you know, first of all, the trial itself with Governor McDonnell was presided over by a judge who had a long-term grudge against this governor, a long-term grudge because this governor had earlier in his career blocked this judge's wife's nomination to a, a, a court, a judicial seat. In addition, just think about these. This this decision of the Supreme Court, unanimous, comes on the heels of reversing prosecutions of the then-Senator Ted Stevens, Governor Rick Perry, House Majority Leader Tom DeLay. And then think about the idea that the Obama administration, the Democrat Party apparatus, has used the power of the IRS to shut down political opponents. That's what they did when they decided that they were going to to delay and hold back giving the IRS certification of a C3 or C4 designation to their political enemies. The Democrats will not stop in shutting down their political opponents and using the power at their disposal. This is a, a fundamental affront to liberty. A whole other arena of the fundamental um, affront to liberty has to do with the breathtaking growth in power of the federal government and the reach of the various things that they, that the arenas of American life, their power of Washington down into your backyard, you know, puddle of water in your yard that may somehow be uh, something they can regulate through the EPA. But I want to give you specific examples. If you think that the federal federal growth of federal power couldn't hurt you, what you're really seeing in part is an over-criminalization on the federal level of many things that do not belong in any way to be crimes. It's a criminalization of what were one time just simple civil violations. And here you go. Here are just a few an 11-year-old girl in Virginia who saved a woodpecker from a cat was hit with a fine for transporting a protected species. No kidding. A Maryland developer, James Wilson, was prosecuted and sentenced to prison for violating the Clean Water Act when he improved a piece of land the Army Corps of Engineers claimed as navigable water, even though the nearest river was six miles away. Fortunately for him, James Wilson, he had the resources to fight the conviction and ultimately got it overturned. But what these are examples of, these aren't just random, because I'm going to read you several more, not just random isolated cases. This is a whole paradigm shift in America. This is the left wing of America, and it's not even the Democrat Party. It's broader than that. It's the left wing of America thinking the purpose of government is to regulate, control, fine, penalize, and prosecute anything they don't like, anything that disagrees with their... And I'm going to give you another one. An outdoorsman named Tom Lindsay and several other people were rafting down Idaho's Snake River at 7 a.m. 
instead of 9 a.m. And they use gas stoves for cooking at their campsite. The federal government hit Lindsay with several indictments. Indictments, that means like criminal charges going to take you to court, which were later overturned. Uh, there was also a um, chief engineer at a retirement home diverted backup sewage to a storm drain. Unknown to him, the drain wasn't connected to the city's sewage system, but to a stream that emptied into the Potomac River, a protected waterway. A felony conviction for that. And so this overcriminalization, it's an, it's an assault on liberty. I'll tell you another assault on liberty, just to keep, because I don't think these things are just, um, they're not isolated. They are part of a larger view of some people in America who've forgotten the whole reason we have the Declaration of Independence, the whole reason we establish liberty, which is that individuals, are, the, the paradigm, the setup, the, the framework of America is the idea that individuals have liberty and government exists to protect those rights. Government does not exist to regulate and control your life in every way. But just as the founders knew when they created the Declaration of Independence, when they wrote it, they knew the tendency in human history, the tendency for millennia before they wrote that declaration is that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and that there's just a yearning in the hearts of too many people, too many men to want to control others to just want to control their lives and that people who who have that yearning are always going to be fighting to control your life. So I'm going to tell you just another founding idea of America that is under assault, and that is the idea of the rule of law. The rule of law is a fundamental plank in the idea of liberty and the idea of what America is all about. The rule of law means, for example, that everyone is subject to the same laws. We don't have a ruling elite. We don't have kings and queens or a monarchy. We don't have Anyone who's above the law, and number one, the same laws, and then number two, the same laws apply to everyone. The same laws apply to everyone, and the system of creating laws is designed to allow the, we the people to hold on to power, to hold on to liberty. We elect the people who make the laws in our state legislatures and the federal government. That's our job. We elect the lawmakers. And those lawmakers can be unelected by us if we don't want, we don't like what they do. We can call them back. We can say, you can't have this job anymore. So the idea of rule of law in part means to have laws come from the elected, the, the people we elect, and then the executive branch, the government, which is the president and the federal level, the president, the administrative agencies, they enforce the law. They don't make law. And if they were permitted to make law, then they would be substituting the role that the Congress is supposed to have. So, for example, we had the Supreme Court recently, fortunately ruled the right way in this case, they blocked President Obama's immigration amnesty. And to step back, in case you haven't followed this issue, the idea of the federal laws on immigration is Congress makes the law, and the executive branch enforces it. What President Obama didn't like, that he couldn't get the Congress to go along with some changes he wanted in immigration law, so he just issued executive orders saying, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to do it my way. This is not just an affront to the rule of law, but to liberty, because we have no protection. We have no ability to fight it. We can't unelect our congressman if the president simply issues executive orders 
which then become law. Fortunately, the Supreme Court struck down President Obama's immigration executive amnesty and said, sorry, buddy, not not on our watch. Well, you know, there are a bunch of other ones. I'll just, we mentioned when uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West was here, the Democrats sit in in, in the U.S. House trying essentially to say, we're not going to stand up until we get gun control. We've talked about this in the show before, but the whole effort of the Democrats on the no-fly, no-buy is an astounding assault on liberty because what they're saying is... An unelected bureaucrat can stick your name on a no-fly list and you lose a constitutional right in the Second Amendment to keep and bear arms. And that's perfectly okay with these anti-liberty Democrats in our U.S. House today. So this is at liberty. That's running running to a quick list of losing liberty. We're going to talk more in the second hour on different ideas. I have my leading lady, Lori Medina, joining me in the second hour of America Can We Talk? Come back after the break. We're going to talk about that. and going to talk with Star Parker, who's fighting liberty battle of her own. Paid a price to be free. Remember who we are. We are blood, sweat, and tears. Remember who we are. Will our children be the ones asking us one day why we didn't do enough, why we gave it all? For our second hour roundtable on America, can we talk with Debbie Georgiatis? More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America, can we talk? I love that new name. I'm so happy about it. This is Debbie Georgiatis. I'm joined this hour by Lori Medina, one of my leading ladies. And you know, we're gonna we're on this thing. This show, we're just going to talk about what liberty really meant to the founders in the Declaration of Independence, what it means today, what different things happening in America are not just political right-left issues, but they are liberty or not liberty issues. And, and the, as we've been reminded by our founders, Thomas Jefferson, you know, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, just that we must be persistently vigilant about protecting America. Well, we're going to talk, this is our short segment, and I have my uh, one question and the rapid-fire answer coming from Lori. I'm trying in this show to use some of the, not just founders, but some of our American heroes' statements about the meaning of liberty, the Declaration of Independence. So here's a great one. This is by Ronald Reagan. It's time we asked ourselves if we still know the freedoms intended for us by the Founding Fathers. James Madison said... We base all our experiments on the capacity of mankind for self-government. This idea that government was beholden to the people that had no other source of power 
is still the newest, most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Ronald Reagan, 1964. Okay, so Lori Medina. Yes. Glad you're here tonight. Here's my rapid fire question. All right. My question and your rapid fire answer. What do you see as the biggest threat to liberty on the American horizon today? Okay. So yesterday when you called me and you said that would be the question, I heaved a huge sigh <laughs> because there were so many uh, answers to that question. Uh, because I, I feel like, Debbie, right now we are living in an anti-liberty movement. Uh, that is the time, the era that we live in. Uh, it is the prevailing force of the elites in the world, in our government, that want to take away our liberties. And so in, in thinking about your question, because there are virtually attacks on every single liberty that, that we have, that are God-given, um, I, I started thinking about what is kind of the, the biggest answer that encompasses all of these attacks. And for me, I think it comes back to uh, the way our founding fathers created our our three branches of government, our federal government, the way the the wisdom that they used to create these three branches, we have so veered off course with those three branches that that is allowing for the attacks on liberty that we have today. And let me let me explain. Um, you know, when they created the the three branches, basically it was that the of the three, the executive, legislative, and the judicial, that the judicial was supposed to be the weakest and the strongest was supposed to be the legislative um, because that, that was the closest to the people and that it, res- it represented the cons- consent of the governed. And what we have today is an out-of-control executive branch, as we all know and have experienced painfully, uh, of a, a president and, and uh, filled with uh, federal agencies that are unconstitutional, we have all these federal agencies that are making laws that have no right or power or authority to make laws. We have a, a president, as you just talked about in the last segment, about how that um, he just, uh, with this illegal immigration uh, thing that he tried to tried to pass without the re, uh, the help or the assistance uh, of the legislative. The and legitimacy then, of the legislature, well, yeah. Well, absolutely. And then th- th- we've got the, the, the legislative branch that is supposed to be the strongest, that has become the weakest, that they have ceded all of their authority and power. And uh, they are allowing these other, these other branches of government to, uh, to take away all of their power, to, to walk over them, and they just sit back very passively and allow things to happen. Uh, so, you know, I mean, and, and back to that illegal immigration case that just was, uh, that was just decided at the Supreme Court, Quite frankly, it should never gone to the Supreme Court. The legislative branch, our Congress, should have stepped in and said, President Obama, you don't have the authority to do that. That's what should have happened. I mean, constitutionally, that's what should have occurred. But instead, they sat back, ceded their power and authority, and allowed for the Supreme Court to, to decide the case. 
Absolutely. You know, it's a very interesting thing. We've been talking just about the immigration order that President Obama issued, but actually in many other arenas of American life, he has seized power that does not mm-hmm. belong in the executive branch. A huge one relates to Obamacare, where certain changes yep. uh, the legislature wouldn't do, the Congress wouldn't do, he did them anyway. The massive imposition mm-hmm. on religious institutions by interpretations of the Obamacare law by the Department of Health um, What's it called? Health, whatever. Health and Health. human services. And human services, yeah. There's just regulations that just uh, had no basis in law, and they become, they are really uh, unsettling America's uh, future, unsettling, unsettling the, um, the protections on religious freedom. And they're all coming from this idea that we don't have a Congress, as you're saying, Lori, mm-hmm. that will stand up for itself. But you know what? If you look at what the Constitution gave Congress, to hold the, the two powers they have, besides, I mean, passing laws, they have the power to, uh, the purse, the power to say we're not going to fund something, right. and the power to move for the impeachment of the That's president. Right. If they won't use either of those powers, which the Republicans agreed early on in President Obama's term they would never do, and they barely ever did, they have no power left. Okay, folks, we're out of time in this segment. Next segment, we'll talk to Star Parker. You can't just, all I can tell you is she's fabulous. Don't go away. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I love saying the new name of our show. It was Ladies Can We Talk for a couple years, but now it's America Can We Talk. And welcome back to our celebration of Independence Day, Celebration of Liberty show on Sunday, July 3rd. We have joining us this segment, someone I've mentioned before. She's actually been on our show before. And I'm so glad she could join us today, Star Parker. Hello. Hello. Good being with you. Oh, it's great to have you, Star. You know, we were talking on the break. I was trying to give a summary of your life to um, this gentleman who's here helping with the show today. And, and you're just an amazing American. I appreciate your work so very much. Um, we're, we, I've been starting this show with a quote from a founder or some other prominent American about the idea of the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to read a really quick short one from Abraham Lincoln. Let us readopt. The Declaration of Independence, and with it, the practices and policy which harmonize with it. Let North and South, let all Americans, let all lovers of liberty everywhere join in the great and good work. If we do this, we shall not only have saved the Union, but we shall have so saved it as to make and to keep it forever worthy of the saving. Abraham Lincoln, gotta love him. Okay, so we're with Star Parker. She is the founder of an organization in Washington called the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. I love what you do. Why don't you take a moment, if you would, Star, and just tell our listeners what your what CURE is all about. Well, we are on this journey to dismantle the welfare state, in a nutshell. Uh, we believe charity belongs to the church and to local community. Uh, so we want the government out of that business. Uh, when you think about the $22 trillion that we put in this war on poverty, we've uh, left entire people's lives destroyed as a result and uh, damage in human capital. So we promote market-based solutions to fight poverty at Cure. I just love that. And I know one thing you do, Star, um, as the president and founder of Cure, you go around and talk to different pastors. You have pastors' breakfasts in low-income communities. And I'm just, what do you talk to them about? Well, what we do is try to get them to understand liberty, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. It's, um, 
it's underappreciated how broken the school systems are in our at-risk communities. So what we find is also our pastors who haven't um, been educated in those systems don't understand fundamental principles, founding principles of our country. And so we talked to them about uh, the sanctity of property and how it is just as sacred as the sanctity of life on issues of life and marriage and other biblical truths that they know very, very well, they get it immediately. But when it comes to liberty and freedom and private property, uh, there's more explanation needed, in particular when it comes to economy and their concerns for uh, the poor in their their communities. Uh, The question becomes, who's to fix what's broken down? Uh, Do the individual people in the private sector, or is this the work of the public uh, and government? We've seen what government does. The damage of the welfare state is uh, bookshelves are sagging with the data. So uh, we try to share that data with these pastors so that they get a deeper understanding of transitioning their uh, populations off of the welfare state. I think that is just astonishing. I mean, our listeners don't know you. I, I'm very blessed to have met Star Parker several times and um, had her speak at different things. And you just have the most gracious, lovely but astonishingly confident delivery in everything you say. I mean, just because, I, and I think it's just coming from your heart, because what you're saying is not a learned uh, set of bullet points that you're trying to share, but you're speaking from your heart about the ideas of America, which I think are just, I, I mean, I can hardly tell you how exciting I think it is. So I want to, if you could quick tell our listeners, I know it's your first book and an older one, but can you tell our listeners about your book, Uncle Sam's Plantation? Because that really kind of captures a lot about the liberty we're talking about today. I will, but let me back up a moment and tell you about the passion and why it is in my heart. It's uh, because I experienced the lie of the left. I believed that the poor were poor because the wealthy are wealthy. I believed that my problems were somebody else's fault. I believed that America was so inherently racist I didn't need to mainstream. So I understand what not only some of these pastors are wrestling with, but what their congregations are wrestling with. I believe those laws and got caught in all types of reckless behaviors, as we're seeing in many of our hard-hit communities. Things from criminal activity to drug activity to sexual activity. I was in and out of these so-called safe, legal, rare abortion clinics until finally having a gut instinct way down deep inside that maybe killing your offspring isn't right. And I still had a child outside of marriage and watched my life spiral into government dependency. It wasn't until after a Christian conversion that I changed my life. And so that's why I also put a lot of emphasis on these pastors, because I was a pastor who not only helped me change my life, but one day looked out at the congregation and said, what are you doing living on welfare? The government is not your source. So I understand the power of what happens when black folks, pastor folks, and other folks get it get way down deep inside of what went wrong and what the solutions are to fix it. So I wanted to get to that. Uncle Sam's Plantation is an explanation of what is inside of welfare uh, life uh, for those that keep sending their money to Washington, D.C. to fix these uh, problems for us. They need to understand that this is the wrong direction for our country. Uh, When you think about you know, the investments every year. It's a quarter of our budget, $900 billion a year in these anti-poverty programs. And look where we are. The poverty rate is the same as it was in 1965, but family life has collapsed as a result of the welfare state. Uh, people don't appreciate that in 1970, only 7% of children in our country were born to a mother who wasn't married. That number last year was 48% of children are born in this country to a mother who hasn't married. This is a crisis. It's an economic crisis, and it's a moral crisis. 
Wow. You know what? You just, you hit on so many things. I actually, I'm struggling thinking which way I want to go with all this, but, um, I love that you took the, you, you, you know, you could have had your, your uh, life experience that you just described and, and, and found your way through finding Christ and, and move forward. But you just, you had more kind of love of your fellow man in you that you couldn't just straighten your life out and go do something, but you, you're spreading what you learned. And I think it's a vital message, especially in this time in America, where I feel like our country is more racially divided than it has been in a long time. I think there has been a lot of, uh, a lot of messaging from Washington about racial division. And you're really speaking kind of, of you're, you're speaking your message in many communities, but you're speaking it as it's a same truth applies to everybody. It's a very unifying message you have as compared to what I see coming out of Washington, a very racially divided message. Right. It is a racially divided message because politically uh, we've fallen apart. And where you see race as a political issue, uh, the people stay, take out their, their side, uh, stay out their side. But in relationships, we see a lot of health and, and growth, in particular in the church. I mean, people are, are, um, have a variety of friends, and with our youth, uh, they've grown up with a variety of friends. Uh, so uh, we, I'm not as concerned about um, racial dynamics as the media is uh, in the mainstream and why they keep pushing this narrative that blacks should be suspicious of whites and whites should be frustrated with blacks. Uh, we have to start building more personal relationships so that we can get to the bottom line of what's wrong with the political sphere. And that is that the government keeps trying to take from one to give to the other. And redistribution of wealth is wrong, it's unscriptural, and it doesn't work for the very people that we say that we're trying to help. I love that you said it's unscriptural. And I assume what you're referring to is that redistribution of wealth is premised on coveting your neighbor's possessions. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. The Bible's clear. Don't covet and and when you think about the the violation of private property, that we are now at the point where somebody has something somebody else wants, so we hire politicians to go take it from them. When we think about what we say and what we hear in regular discussions in our political sphere about uh, 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 the wealthy and this great disdain for the wealthy, we should all be aspiring to be wealthy. The fact that we have poor people amongst us is an indictment on liberalism, because when you combine Christianity and capitalism, you see wealth in one generation. So we are uh, going in the wrong direction in the narrative, absolutely. Uh, So that's why you now see these breakdowns in uh, race relationships, because the political left has been using race to divide, to conquer for quite some time. We're speaking tonight with Star Parker, who is the founder of CURE, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. And she, as you can all hear plainly, is a just a, a profoundly confident and well-informed and biblically based, but just an inspired woman, just determined to try to truly lift lives of other fellow Americans out of the kind of... Uh, temptations that that will just never get them on the path to freedom and opportunity in the American dream. You're just, I I love what you do. I do want to say, we only have about a minute and a half in this segment left, but I know you've spoken recently at a pro-life event. I actually don't know. Someone texted me this morning about it, and I I don't know (laughs) what it was, but but I'm wondering if you have a reaction in about a minute to the Supreme Court decision on the Texas, uh, which came out, I think, just yesterday, the the Texas law that protected women's health in abortion clinics. You have 30 seconds here. I was in your neighborhood, and that's why I called you there, because we were there uh, in Dallas uh, with amazing pro-life work. What kind of mind would conclude that 60 million destroyed infants demonstrates the success of our Constitution when our Constitution says that it is in existence to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves 
and our posterity. Posterity. Oh, we're in the wrong direction. We're going in the wrong direction, and that's why we're going to continue to fight for life. I just love that. We're speaking with Star Parker, founder of Cure. Real quickly, Star, what is? Can you give us the uh, website for Cure? What is it called? Is it just, just Urban Cure? Yeah, just UrbanCure.org. If you Google Star Parker, you'll find it. UrbanCure.org. We're a five hundred one c three nonprofit, and we really, really uh, appreciate people that help us get our work done. Star Parker, thank you so very much, and happy July Fourth. <laughs> you too. Bye bye. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie George Addis. I'm joined this evening by leading lady Lori Medina. And we're just focused on liberty tonight. We're just trying to just to bring out to celebrate liberty, really, and, and how what a powerful force it has been in the world and and how it is the as our founders told us, it is just our responsibility, every single generation's responsibility to do the best they can to hold on to liberty, to identify issues in the context of liberty. Okay, so this is an interesting. Well, I like to start with these quotes. We're going to talk about in this segment about you know the women's rights movement and feminism and, and what really is what are the liberty answers to making life the best it should be, the right kind of life for Amer- women in America. But before I do, I want to say this is a, my founder's quote. John Adams wrote this in 1786. It has ever been my hobby horse to see rising in America an empire of liberty and a prospect of two or three hundred millions of free men. It's amazing because we're over 300 million. He said this. Okay, but two or three hundred millions of free men without one noble or one king among them. You say it's impossible. If I should agree with you in this, I would still say, let us try the experiment and preserve our equality as long as we can. So that they, he just loved this. John Adams loved this idea of equality and liberty, and that's really what the women's movement started out to be. Was you know we actually want equality first of all to vote, and we, that was one thing we didn't get right in the founding. Mm-hmm. We want equal access to education and to all professions of all kinds. It's it's, it's uh, starting with lower school education and high school and college and grad school and and just occupations of all kind. Not the sense that you couldn't do something because you're a woman and you're not allowed. But that movement, in my view, has gone away from creating equality of opportunity and has morphed into, on the American left, a determination to say we can only, our best way as the government to protect you, to give you rights, is to have mandates in federal law, to change laws, to, to uh, force employers to do things we want them to do. And I think that's off track. It's an off track answer to preserve rights of women. Absolutely, Debbie. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about liberty is that it doesn't apply to a specific gender. It's not referring to one gender over another. It doesn't uh, apply to a specific race or or skin color. Uh, It doesn't apply to to specific creeds. It applies to everyone. (laughs) I mean, just the fact that it is God-given means that Every human that has ever been born have these God-given rights. Yep, I love that. And um, you know what, yeah, and you know what? The Declaration of Independence, I meant to say this earlier, and the Constitution are both nonpartisan documents. That's right. They're not for liberals, conservatives, Dems, Republicans. They're just what the core of America is all about. Well, Lori, I want to, because we always, these segments are too short. There's some weird time thing out here. It makes these segments shorter than they, <laughs> I think they time are. Time warp. <laughs> There's a time warp out here. It's 
the station. Well, you know, I was going to say that there was a summit this week in Washington, President or last week, President Obama uh, brought together a summit, and um, I believe it was called the United State of Women Summit. United State of Women Summit. It was basically a left wing. Doesn't just the name of that make you just want to like throw up in your mouth? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah, you know? just like okay. I, I know you just and you, you wait to see. Oh no, what's he going to be up to now? But really, it's a really good like springboard to talk about what is it that really gives women liberty? Because what the, the left wingers, Obama and his crew, and all the speakers he would have there, they were on to solutions to give women liberty mandating increased minimum wage. Okay, we've talked about on the show many times with actual economists that all that ever happens if you increase minimum wage is you destroy jobs for low-income workers. You reduce the number of jobs available for first-time workers. You reduce the jobs available for women. It is like an economic idiocy, but the left gets away with it. So they had forced minimum wage. Then another one about, though, forced a mandatory, forcing employers to give mandatory paid leave Family leave, you know, uh, when you have a child, family, family leave or family care, mandatory by the government telling employers you must pay people to do this. So this is their idea of liberty. What do you think? Well, you know, and, that, and that's the thing. Um, their answer for liberty is take away from someone else. That is, their, that is their answer. Take away from someone else and give it to this preferred group. Um, you know, Debbie, I just think it probably would behoove our audience just to step back a second and just go over this. This uh, pay gap nonsense one oh. more time. I mean, just Amen. one more time. Um, and, and I'd like to share, I was at a, um, actually it was a 4th of July celebration. I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago. And I was at a friend's house and some very impressive executives and people who had been very successful in their life financially and professionally were at this uh, 4th of July dinner party. And uh, the gal that, that throws the party, she had asked a Ask questions um, regarding the Fourth of July and our independence and our freedoms and declaration. You That's know all cool. these. It was it was really fun. And so uh, one of the questions was, you know, what can I do to you know to further our country to make things you know great? And so there was this this gentleman that was again uh, wealthy, accomplished, uh, you know, done lots of great things. And so in his answer of how I can make things better in America, his answer was, I can work harder to. Um, to give women more pay and that because uh, it is incumbent upon people like me to end this pay gap. It is so wrong and it, <clears throat> so wrong in America for this to exist. I about fell out of my chair at Please that moment. You spoke up. Oh, I, I mean, I just about <laughs> fell over my chair. I, I, I couldn't believe. So I, I kind of it was it was a large form. I didn't want to embarrass. Anyway, I pulled some people aside and had some animated conversations afterwards. But I mean, the thing is, here's a very intelligent person that thinks this exists. And and again, back to our, you know, for our listeners, when Pete, when Obama and the people on the left say that they, that there is a pay gap, they try to say that women make 77 cents on the dollar of men. And what they're doing is they're taking all women versus all men, adding them together averaging that number and coming down to that dollar amount. They're not taking into it. They're not comparing teacher versus teacher, engineer versus engineer, and the same number of years in the workforce, the same type of education. They are comparing all women, all men. And as we know, all women, we drop out to have babies, many of us. Uh, Sometimes we have easier work schedules so that we can uh, take care of our families uh, we choose different types of work that aren't maybe as dangerous and ha- require hazard pay like some men. There, there are so many reasons that, that you know. But again, if you take a, a job 
a job uh, that a woman does, the same job that a man does, it is virtually equal. Exactly. And, you know, actually, I'm so glad we're on this subject because two points I want to make about it. One is many, many organizations, Independent Women's Forum, American Enterprise Institute, have done studies and they it's out there in the world. And I'll just the summary that the American Enterprise Institute said was essentially once education, marital status and occupation, choice of occupation are considered the gender wage gap all but disappears. The idea that women choose different careers yep. for whatever reasons they do that, because we have freedom, we can choose what we want. You know, as you're all the qualities that are all the uh, factors that you just mentioned, Lori. And I, the other point I make about it is so the re- this gender pay gap is a lie. But the yep. other reason I want to say, I think it's so important to focus on this is this is a lie that everyone in Washington, all those big mouth Democrat liberal people who say this lie, they know they're lying to you. This should bother you. They know they're lying mm-hmm. to you. They mm-hmm. understand the real facts. They do not. They actually are aware in many cases, especially the higher level careers like college professors, that women are often paid more yep. than an actually equivalent male in terms of career choice and how long they've been doing it. And, and so this this whole thing is just it's a manipulative effort by the American left to make women feel like victims. They're trying to make you feel like a victim, and that's insulting. It is not helpful. It is not speaking up for women. It's demeaning women. It's talking to you like you're too stupid to know the facts. Well, and if women are victims, then who's going to take care of them? Who's and that save is <laughs> that is the good the good old daddy government that's going to take care of them. That that's the that's their answer. So if they lie to us and convince us that we need them, then we have nowhere else to go but to the government. Exactly. And this is exactly what this Obama, President Obama's, um, in fact, there was an article about it by the Independent Women's Forum calling it the White House's dreary, dreary summit on women. But it was all this call women in, tell them we're all victims. And yet at the same time saying, but we're going to empower you. We're going to change laws and force people to do things. But I want to contrast that with an actually liberty based proposal, set of proposals. There's a group, the Independent Women's Forum. We have their experts on the show all the time. They're just fabulous, actually well-informed people who have a, uh, a publication out called Working for Women, a Modern Agenda for Improving Women's Lives. And what they have are countless, simple, pro-free market, pro liberty ideas that will make it easier for women to succeed in the workplace, to have the careers and choices they want, to have options, to actually save more of their own money, to have control over their lives. This is what liberty is, Mm -hmm. folks, ladies and gentlemen. This is what liberty is, Mm -hmm. is holding on to the fundamental ideas of America and using the tax system, other systems in a way that reinforces the individual's power and liberty, the individual's place in our economy. Well, you know, I got to tell you, we're going to, at this last segment, I guess this is, we're racing through to the end here, but the last segment, we're going to talk about religious liberty in America. And we're just going to focus pretty much on one case whose facts just kind of show you everything you need to know about how the left versus the right think about liberty. This is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. Don't go away. You'll love the last segment. Welcome back to the July 4th weekend edition of America Can We Talk. Before we touch on our last liberty issue of the day, I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this show, 
GC Works funds America Can We Talk. GC Works is a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology and deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Many thanks to GC Works. I also want to tease our next week's show. We have on the show, week from Sunday, Catherine Engelbright. She is the founder of True the Vote. And you talk about a liberty issue. If you cannot trust the integrity of the elections, why have them? And she, this is what she's all about. We also have on Lieutenant General Roy White, who's going to be talking about his work in supporting ACT for America, which is a group designed to raise awareness about Islamic terrorism in America and around the world. He is the head of the Texas um, ACT for America. So he'll be on with us also next week. So on this last of our July 4th show, we have my leading lady, Lori Medina's here tonight. And I want to touch on religious freedom. And again, I've been starting most of these segments with a quick quote. I could not believe, I did some research on quotes people had said about the Declaration of Independence. And of course, there are many more than we could read the whole time. But I was surprised by some I did not realize. President Calvin Coolidge had said he was a deep appreciator of the Declaration of Independence. In speaking of it, he said, the main features of the Declaration of Independence is that it is a great spiritual document. It is a declaration not of material but of spiritual conceptions. Equality, liberty, popular sovereignty, the rights of man, these are not elements which we can see and touch. They are ideals. They have their source and their roots in their religious convictions. They belong to the unseen world. We cannot continue to enjoy the result of the Declaration of Independence or, or abandon the I'm sorry, or abandon the cause. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. Gotta love them, Calvin amen. Coolidge. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, on the amen subject, you know, one of the, in fact, the reason America got started as many of you learned in our history classes growing up, was uh, people seeking freedom from religious persecution. They wanted to come across to uh, get away and come to a new land and have the opportunity to worship as they chose. And so we have our First Amendment to the United States Constitution enshrines that. It's the first liberty is religious religious freedom. And, you know, and you think about the idea uh, we had in the show a few weeks ago, Virginia Prodan, and she had been persecuted as a uh, Christian when she grew up in communist Romania under Nicolae Ceausescu. And she talked about communist leaders, people who love big government control over others, hate religion. They hate freedom of religion, and they fight it. Nikolai Ceausescu destroyed churches, took them over, turned them into government offices, persecuted Christians, and he wasn't the only one. Throughout the world, people who love controlling others control the churches and try to, what they really hate is the idea that their their subjects, their people, have allegiance to something other than the government, that they have allegiance to God, and that God actually forms and shapes their morals and values and views. So the battle we have in America today and religious freedom is enormous. And we've talked on the show many times over the years about, you know, things like a baker being told they had to shut down their bakery if they would not agree to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding when those bakers were Christians and they found that that participating in a same-sex wedding was inconsistent with their Christian view. So here's the case. Lori and I want to go back and forth on it. I'm just going to quick tell you the story. 
There's another organization called Alliance Defending Freedom is representing a couple named the Stormans, and they live in the state of Washington, and they own a small grocery store and pharmacy. They've had it for, it's been in their family for four generations. The quick story is this. These people, the owners of this pharmacy, due to their Christian faith, do not wish to fulfill prescriptions, medical prescriptions, for abortifacients, drugs that cause abortions to happen. So when people come in with a prescription like that, they say, hey, you know what? We don't fill that, but right down the road, they direct you that people to other pharmacies that will, that do not have a problem fulfilling that. In fact, there, there were many, many pharmacies, I'm not finding it quickly, but within, it was something like 25 pharmacies in a five-mile radius, I mean, lots of pharmacies around. But that practice by this particular pharmacy owner was challenged um, in court in 2005, Planned Parenthood in cahoots with the Washington governor, Christine Gregoire, I don't know how to say her name correctly, Gregoire I think is correct, began pressuring the Washington Pharmacy Commission, a a government commission to prohibit conscience-based referrals for this Plan B, they call it Plan B, you know, it's a drug that is abortifacient. The governor and the Planned Parenthood, the pro-death people, were pushing this commission to say, don't let these people have an exemption for their conscience. And so the the commission first pushed back and said, you know, sorry, we've always had this. It doesn't bother anybody. We have other reasons. We let people, pharmacists, decline to fill certain prescriptions. But this governor and Planned Parenthood were so determined, they brought about the resignation of a couple commissioners, sucked their own people in, who then changed the law and said to this pharmacy, you can't have your religious freedom. You cannot decide not to fill these prescriptions um, uh, based on your Christian faith. You have to do it. You have to give you have to prescribe or, or you know, give out drugs under prescription uh, that cause abortions. That caused the end of termination of pregnancy. And so this case has been taken up. And first, the trial court, in fact, it was great in this case, the trial court went out of their way to castigate, to truly castigate the governor and Planned Parenthood. This was a battle. They're saying, you're just, you're just persecuting these people. Knock it off. Of course they can have this religious freedom. But the Ninth Circuit, the famously liberal Ninth Circuit, stepped in and said, oh, no, nothing wrong with this law. Go ahead. You can tell them they have to give those out if they want to continue functioning as a pharmacy. So now the case, there's a writ of certiorari. It's before the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court has, the United States Supreme Court has not yet decided if they'll take the case. The writ is pending before the court. They have to decide whether to take the case or not. And so this is a closely watched case because this is really the pro-abortion world saying, we're not going to tolerate anyone who won't agree with that abortion is moral. You're not allowed to have a religious view that disagrees with this. So I want to set the table to say, I think this is a really interesting case on a lot of levels, but one is just, it is not really the left that's standing for liberty here. It's, it's the conservatives saying, why can't they have their religious liberty? Why can't they continue to function as pharmacists can, and still live their lives consistent with their faith? You know, Debbie, I'm so glad you started out kind of reminding people that uh, you know, the founding of America, really, the whole idea was religious liberty. And, the, I mean, if, if you want to look at it, that was really the impetus for the founding of our nation and for the Declaration of Independence was religious liberty. So of all the all the liberties that are enshrined, you know, in the Declaration and our Constitution, um, 
you could almost say that has a very special place. A very it's the first liberty, as yes, they say. <laughs> a very well, truly, a, a very very special significance because of of how it started, what it drives people. You know, and if you think about the people, the pilgrims that came across, uh, they weren't experiencing this kind of tyranny even. Because really, this is tyranny. Oh yeah. When 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 a uh, small private business is being forced uh, to sell something that is against their religious beliefs on their own private property in their own private business, and they are being forced by the government to do something that is tyranny. You know, it's a great analogy. I just saw when you were talking. You know, it is so interesting. We have gone out of our way to honor the religious you know, particular viewpoints of of many people. So if Washington state had a law that said all delis must sell bacon, all meat, meat packing companies, all grocery stores, all restaurants must sell pork, you would have the left screaming about, you know, unfairness to uh, the Jewish population, unfairness to American Muslims, because, of course, they are prohibited by their religion to, or it's not respected in their religion, to sell right. or handle pork. Well, and, and the Jewish population in America don't go around forcing restaurants and delis to sell everything kosher or, or grocery stores. They, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's just, it, it, it's preposterous to think that there's a group of people that have to tell another group of people how to live. And, th- and that really is pretty much the, the definition of, of of liberalism in America today, that people have to be told by someone else how to live, how to how to have their business, uh, you know, where to be, where to go to school, where to go to church, or where not to go to church, um, and 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 that's what we've become. And it it is it's truly sad what's happening in America. And the question is, Debbie, who's going to stand up to this? Oh yeah, who? Both because I don't have I don't have any assurance that it's going to be Donald Trump, and I know all the Trumpers out there is probably mad be saying that, but I, I don't I don't have that assurance. There need to be more thought leaders, political leaders in this country, uh, really on both sides of the aisle. There should be as many liberals and Democrats saying, "Wait a minute, we actually honor religious freedom." I don't right. want to start hearing about you know uh, Muslim owned delis having to sell pork, and I don't want to start hearing about right. Jewish. But but somehow we th- those have been kind of elevated to a special place in liberalism where you don't touch anything related to Islam. But Christianity, and this is what is back to the point I wanted to make about all this, this is really a Christianity-based persecution in this country, very inconsistent with the founding of this precious country. You know, this is our first show as America Can We Talk. We hope you loved it. We hope you tune in every single Sunday from 6 to 8. Our website's turning over to become AmericaCanWeTalk.org. Follow me on at Debbie Can We Talk on Twitter and come back every week and enjoy this precious July 4th holiday. Remember who we are
Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. Six sixty eight.